Hey everybody, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio, and this is episode number 160, December 2022. And this is a very special show because it happens to close out our first 10 years of podcasting. First 10 years, you heard me say. And none of this would have happened if it weren't for the suggestion of my amazing wife, Morris Stevens, coupled with the generosity of WRFI Community Radio, based in Ithaca and Watkins Glen, New York, who 10 years ago gave me a half-hour spot to start with and have supported this show for, as I say, once again, 10 whole years. That's 160 episodes, people, of playwrights, play readings, actors, producers, directors, designers of all kinds, dramaturgs, management, puppet masters, and mask makers. And we're not going to stop there. We're going to have another 10 years ahead of us, so buckle in and keep coming with us. And it has really been one heck of an amazing gift to be able to talk with so many talented and interesting people from all around the world. Which brings us to this month's very special guest, Teresa Fisher, the producer of new plays for young audiences at the Provincetown Playhouse. She is also an associate professor at Bronx Community College. We began talking about a subject near and sometimes dear to my heart, a very tricky stunt to pull off correctly, the post-show discussion. You actually wrote a whole, whole book about it, didn't you? I did. Okay. And it's... And, and it's funny how it got started because um, it came from new plays for young audiences. We were, um, and I don't think either of them will mind me uh, telling this, but uh, one of our co-founders, Nancy Swartzell, and our dramaturg, Cecily O'Neill, after one of the uh, post-show discussions we had, turned to me and were like, I, we don't like this. We don't like how they're doing. And I'm like, okay, well, then what do you want to do? I don't know. And, um, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. Uh, <laughs> and, and I was sort of left in this place of, well, now what do I do? And so uh, I ended up, and it was an interesting time too, because normally one of the frustrations we have with new plays is it can be hard to get youth audiences into the readings. They're just something that, you know, it's, it's hard to get them in. And for some reason, this was for uh, a colleague of mine, Larry Brenner's of uh, uh, the big bat what was it uncle big bat and the three little wolves it was sort of a retelling of the three mm -hmm. little pigs from the wolves perspective and we had full house of kids like i i don't know how it happened we'd use the mommy blogs and so we had all of these kids and all of a sudden it's like we can't let them leave without doing a discussion so we sort of had an impromptu throw in a, a discussion that i ended up leading funny part was i remember turning to larry afterwards and saying i can't remember the last time i led a post-show discussion and it was only later that i went oh wait i've never led a post-show discussion <laughs> <laughs> that was my first one but it obviously got me interested you know all of that happening got me interested in this and because I really wasn't finding anything besides really Liz Lerman um, and there was a mm -hmm. guy at Steppenwolf whose name is escaping me had written a brief article also on HowlRound about post-show discussions sure. that I was like I gotta I gotta reach out to folks so I started doing the research reaching out to folks finding all sorts of interesting stories from you know the um, playwrights who would tell me what I do on the stage when when there's a uh, post-show discussions. I sit there, pretend to be writing, but I'm just writing BS, 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 BS. Um, <laughs> and, don't, give, uh, don't give all the secrets away, please. Come on. 
And it, you know, so it really got me thinking. And I, you know, I talked with uh, folks like playwright Susan Zeter, who was doing some really great work at that time with Imagination Stage. And mm-hmm. she was working with, with youth and, and having, she was doing, um, she basically did a residency in a, in a, elementary school for one of her plays, uh, Aviatrix, she was working on. So in other words, I was getting all of these really great ideas, and then I was able to compile them into the book. Um, like David White down at Towson was doing something with clickers in the audience so that people could literally be reacting while they were watching rather than having to wait until the end of the um, performance oh. to react. Because one of the things that he, you know, he was telling me is that what you get a lot of in post-reading discussions is people remembering the end yeah. of the play. They don't necessarily remember the beginning. Wouldn't clickers be disruptive to the performance? And that wasn't his experience of it. And again, this is about 10 years ago now. Okay. So, um, and I haven't talked with him since to find out if he's still been, been using that, but that was certainly something he found it really useful. He said that people found it useful and that they were, you know, um, that was something he was, was advocating was using at the time. Um, and so I had all of these really interesting sort of grab bag now of things that people could do some more tailored maybe towards TYA, but certainly others for any age audience. Um, although then the challenge became, had the book, which I thought was going to be like a $15 book. It turned out to be a $70 book, which sure, was a yeah. bit of a, yeah. So that ended up being a little bit of a challenge because it did not get out as widely as I had wanted it to. And, and is that because it's an academic book? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it was with Paul Grave had done, it was something new and a colleague had turned me on to it called Pivot. And they were basically doing for books that weren't quite as large as your full monograph, but larger than a journal article. And that was sort of the place they were living in. And that's where this one uh, fit into. But yeah, unfortunately, the price point of it was just a little bit much. And I do want to go back and revisit. I'm still trying to decide if I want to do a second edition, sort of go back and re-interview people and see where, where things have happened. Yeah. Things have changed in the last 10 years, or my more recent thought was, and I'm still mulling this over is take some of those um, activities, some of those alternatives to the traditional post reading discussion and see if I can get the folks to let me try them out because that's been one of the biggest challenges that I've come across, especially like with new plays. And, and I, and I don't say this to disparage the playwrights at all. When I, when I say this, which is, you know, when they're in that mid, in the midst of that intense week of play development, and I try to introduce, yeah. let's do something different with the new, the post-show discussion. Most of the time, the answer is I just, they can't wrap their heads around it. And I've tried, let's talk about it beforehand. So you can think about it before you come. And they're like, I'm not in that headspace yet, yeah. you know, or, or let's try to talk about it early in the week. And, and so it doesn't work. The only time, and this was lovely. Um, I had a playwright, um, uh, last summer whose name just, I love middle age names, just escape me left and right, who did um, actually do one of the alternatives, which was we put uh, easel paper around the stage. It's a, the, the Provincetown in many ways looks a little bit like a black box yeah. um, when you get down to the stage part. And so just on the on two of the walls, we had easel paper uh, or chart paper with um, questions that she wanted to ask written on it. And then we just had a ton of post-it notes and people just came down and wrote their responses on the post-it notes and put them on the chart paper. And then when we were done, we just folded that up and then she was able to take that with her, um, 
And so that was, and that was a lot of fun. And she really appreciated that. And it was a much more relaxed vibe. That's a great idea. I I mean, I've suffered through so many talkbacks. I I love talkbacks because there, there might be a gem that comes out that helps me, helps me with the play. And I mean, I did write a book on development, right? Workshopping Mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's very, very critical to me as an artist um, and a playwright, but coming up with new ideas rather than the traditional asking the same nine and a half questions that keeps the audience focused and yet somehow still makes it interesting. So they feel like they're contributing. That's tricky. Yeah. And I think too, and there's, there's also, you know, one of the things I got, and I get to be a little bit of a, a little bit of a stickler about this is I said, you know, there's a really, for me, there's a difference between a talk back, which for me is that's an established play. That's an add on that the, you know, like playwrights horizons does for their, you know, the off Broadway uh, theater does for their subscribers that we're going to have, maybe it's the playwright, maybe it's, you know, the actors and they're going to come out and take, you know, questions from the audience. Whereas for me, a post-show discussion is for the, it's not for the audience, it's for the playwright. And of course, the challenge with that is trying to figure out what does the playwright actually need and what do they actually want? And, you know, I have some playwrights, I love them. I love the post-show discussion. They're really great. Um, But I also feel like for me, I, I don't, a part of where I struggle a little bit with the post-show discussion is I feel like it can be unfair to the audience because they've just finished watching this play that's still in progress, you know, in, in process. There are, they are still processing what they've just seen. And now you're asking them to talk about it and they may not have had time to sort of process through that yet. Yeah. That is a big drawback. Yeah. Yeah. And the challenge is, is, you know, we've thought about, well, could we do like a survey monkey and have them answer afterwards if they've, if they've, after they've had time to think about it. Yeah. But of course the challenge is, will they, will they answer? And we don't know that they, that they will. So, you know, the sort of the thing is the playwright doesn't want to lose that audience feedback. So do we just have written questions? We've done that. You know, sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes um, that's not. You know, sometimes I've also tried the, you know, the things that I use in the classroom, like, you know, turn, you know, here's a question, turn to someone next to you and talk about this first. You know, the idea being that we might get more voices in the room that way, or maybe talking to somebody else. Um, But again, you know, unfortunately, I think the the standard is still either you go with the standard, here's our questions, we ask Mm -hmm. them. Hope we don't have somebody who decides to grandstand and talk all about. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, we're, and, and I've actually, you know, one of the things I always am really stickler about is, is, is closing things down or, you know, or cutting people off when they do that or trying to redirect. Yeah. And I do think, mm-hmm. thankfully, from teaching, I've gotten a little bit better at doing that. And I even sometimes I had a, I had a playwright ask, or an audience member asked the playwright a question that was actually something that we'd had been struggling with her during that week of development. There was a piece mm-hmm. that we thought needed to be addressed and she just wasn't seeing it. And the person asked the question about that was similar to that. And about halfway through the question, I looked over and I could see the player. It was already getting ready to answer the question. And I actually then didn't let her answer the question. Um, I said wow. that she was going to, I said, that's really interesting. And I want, I'm, that's one of those things I'm going to let her sit with and think about for a while before, 
before she answers it. I also knew that the person asking her the question was a friend of hers and she probably talked to her about it again later. But I wanted, but I thought my sort of thinking was with that. And I don't know that it was the right choice that I did that. But I think the idea of that it does get so fast paced sometimes that there isn't like you aren't given even the playwrights not given room to sort of breathe with it. Yeah. You know, you know, cause that, like I said, as soon as halfway through the question, she was already ready to answer the question. I was like, no, I can't let her answer this. Cause I don't know that she's actually heard the full question. It's a tough time because the playwrights, the object of the attention right now and all the questions they are expected to have all the answers for like a director midway through rehearsals, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's tricky because they think they've got it and they all want it. We all want to look like we know what we're talking about. Yeah. And with play development, that's not always possible because there are things about the play that we've thrown in there that we don't realize yeah. we've thrown in there and somebody else yeah. notices it. And now we've got to process that, but we still have to come up with an answer. Yeah. Uh, how do you... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, because what I usually like to do more and more is I don't let the playwrights answer it. I ask the audience to answer it. I ask for somebody else to answer it. And part of that also, I think the I, I want to give credit where credit is due. Um, this one, again, came from David White. He had told me a story and I'm probably over my in my memory, misremembering pieces of it. But as I recall, it was he had a play and they were getting ready for the post reading discussion. And he said, you know, one of the things he was struggling with is he was trying to figure out which characters needed more development, which ones, you know, still did he need to put some work into. And his dramaturg said, I've got an idea for how we could do this because she was also going to be leading the discussion. He said, do you trust me? And he's like, sure. And so the question she asked the audience was, which character should we get rid of? Now, anytime I tell this story, Hmm. Either people go, oh, that's interesting, or they gasp and say, that's horrible. How could you do that? <laughs> but when he continues to tell the story, he said, what happened was, he said, you know, one person raised their hand and said, oh, you, sh- you know, you can get rid of this character. And somebody else then raised their hand and said, oh, no, you can't get rid of that character. And he said, it continued to go all around until at one point I realized there was one character nobody had mentioned at all. And he said, there was my answer. Clearly, that was not, that character was not yet well developed because they weren't even remembering. I hope character. it wasn't the protagonist. <laughs> I never don't remember if you told me which character it was or not. But that, that's, you know, and, and that's interesting. That's that's a that's a question I would have never thought of. And I think for me, that's one of the things that I've tried to focus on. And I you have to be careful because you don't want to be all cutesy with questions yeah, and trying right. to be tricky. But sort of how can I look at this from a different perspective? How can I get an answer? But but not maybe come at it in the direct way that everybody's thinking of in a way that maybe will trigger something in the brain or start a conversation that is much more interesting than here's a question playwright answers or I, you know, or playwright says, oh, I don't know, I have to think about that. That's a great question for me to to think about. So for me, it's a lot about it's not always about the questions themselves. Mm -hmm. Although obviously asking the right question is going to be beneficial, but can I get a conversation started among the audience? Can I help? Because they're the ones we want to call on. We're trying to get feedback for the playwrights, right? You know, I mean, which right. is why playwrights sit in the back of the theater during a production, you know, so that they can see how the audience 
is reacting. I remember somebody telling me once that you shouldn't, it wasn't, I'm, again, I'm paraphrasing. They weren't saying you shouldn't trust a playwright who doesn't sit in the back of the theater during a reading, but they were like, you know, you can tell a lot yeah. about a playwright by what, where they choose to sit during the reading. Like how well do they understand um, the audience process? And there's some, you know, I was telling that story to someone who said that she knew a playwright who just couldn't stand to be in the room during a reading. It made them too nervous. Um, but she was like, but he's a great playwright, you know, so I don't want to disparage. But again, you know, there's a lot of different ways to gather information as a playwright. And some are going to say, I don't really need the post reading discussion. All I need to do is look at how the audience is reacting yeah. in the moment. Um, and some are you know, going to say, I would love to sit down with the audience and whatever they give me is what they give me. And that's going to be fantastic. Um, and others who say, listen, if you make me do it, I'll do it. But I think it's silly and I'm not going to get anything out of it. I'll find, you know, I'll talk to trusted colleagues and that's how I'm going to get, yeah. you know, feedback. So I, I do. I've, I've heard alternatives where dramaturgs have asked the playwright not to be there for hmm. the post-show and they record it yeah. or they ask the playwright to not interact and they set the rules in the beginning. The playwright will not answer any questions. The playwright is solely here to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Um, which I find is more easily achieved by having the playwright not there at all. But for me, I need to hear what's going on. I want to be spying on it somewhere. I want to see the yeah. reaction because even in the talkback or the post-show discussion, watching the audience is critical. Yeah. It is critical uh, just to see who's reacting to what's said about whatever last question that was. Uh, how do you initiate? How do you frame the rules for a post-show discussion? And are there any standard questions that you use to get things going or to explore other issues? So a standard one that I have, you know, will often be let's take a moment to breathe. Well, one, before we go in, I make sure the playwrights know the first, after we ask the first question, there's going to be a long pause. Do not jump on the pause because if we start talking first, the audience will never start talking because they'll mm -hmm. think, great, we get to be audience for longer. So we can't, you, you can't, you have to wait. I will wait forever if we need to, <laughs> but somebody will talk. It'll be fine. Trust me. So that's one thing I always have to prime um, ahead of time with them. And then I like to do it one. And with new plays, we also um, have in their program um, a, a so the questions that the playwright wants to have asked, they're in a written form that they can write their answers. And unless the questions would somehow spoil something with the reading, we, we give them the questions right away. Um, and then right after the reading, they have a chance um, to write, which gives us a chance to get things set up. Now, it's not a long time because you wait too long. The audience starts leaving. Mm. Um, but so we've we've had a little bit where they've hopefully been sort of primed for this. But then when we sit down, you know, I introduce everybody. And a lot of it is saying this is you're not we're not asking you to be the critic. This is a conversation. What we're looking for, you know, what are some images, moments, maybe a phrase, something that stuck with you, something that you remember now. So it's a question somewhere along those lines. I usually I'll fine tune it for the for the particular script or for how I'm feeling in that moment as I'm looking out. Um, at the audience. And then in, in doing that, um, hopefully then we start getting people offering different, you know, I remember this, I remember that. 
And then we can go into maybe if there's a question, you know, what was one thing that you still had a question about? Um, or, and again, sometimes it depends on the script. Sometimes there's something, because oftentimes, because I feel like there's so many people in the room during the during the development week, I try to not be another one of those voices. I feel like that can just add too much. So unless I'm specifically asked for my feedback, I don't provide it. But sometimes there will have been a question I've been niggling over during the week. And so sometimes I'll throw that out there, but I'll throw it out to the audience more so than to um, the playwright. At least that's always the goal. So that's kind of where I go. And I have a standard form that I put together that I have that sort of has the, here's the different things that I'm thinking about. So every time we go in and I share it ahead of time with the playwright so they can take a look and either be like, yeah, these are some of the questions we'd like you to focus on, or here's some other ones. And sometimes I'll, you know, I had a playwright who was like, did you like the play? was one of the questions she went to ask. And I was like, could we reword that? Because, you know, really... (laughs) <laughs> that's a dangerous one right there well exactly yeah. and she i mean she was a playwright who she did i mean she was really i i mean i loved her to death because she was not afraid whatever they were going to say she was totally cool with um but i was like you know i said sort of the danger though here is we could just get um you know rewrites. yes or no answer exactly you'll, you know, you'll and, get rewrites and, for days well, that and also, but we're going to get yes or no questions rather than the other. So I have these sort of, you know, one of the things I'll offer is I said we could have the art materials like we did for the, oh, the one of the ones we did this time. And I've done that, especially because it's TYA. We had one where the playwright, it was a Saturday and the playwright had only wanted a post-reading discussion on Sunday. And I said, there's kids in the audience this time. It was only a handful, but there were kids. And she's like, nah. And I said, screw it. Um, so after the play was over I came down with butcher paper and markers and that and I invited the kids onto the stage and we started drawing and I started you know just sort of talking about what they had seen and pretty soon the playwright came out and then she started talking with them as well so again again that's it's different when you have kids because oftentimes yeah. that's the way you're going to want to um, engage with them but you know like I say to them you know this isn't a question and answer so much as a conversation. Um, and, you know, like, like I said, we're looking for observations and reflections and, yeah. you know, what did you see? What did you see? What did you hear? And, um, and then I oftentimes will also, you know, what, like I said, I'll go to what questions do you have? And if they don't have questions, you know, it could also be what moment or moment surprised you? Um, you know, right. what did you want to know more about? So I try to keep it really broadly open that, than that. And if somebody also asks a question or makes a comment, I'll often again go back to the audience, which was, did anyone else notice that? Or what else, you know, just try to again keep yeah. the conversation going. As I oftentimes will tell the playwrights, in my ideal world, they will not open their mouth during the um the post-show discussion. It will all be done uh through the talking of the audience and me just trying to get them to keep talking. Sure. Yeah. Moving to a different, I mean, I could still talk about this forever. (laughs) Yeah. But you started talking about kids in the audience and that's a perfect segue to our next topic um, because I am the master of segues here. (laughs) New plays for young audiences, which which started 25 years ago. I believe. Yeah. Uh, And annual play development series focused on developing work for young audiences 
ages three to 21. I wanna talk about these audiences because theater for younger audiences is two well, things to me. One, it's a different animal. Yeah. And B, it kind of answers the question, is theater dying? And I don't ever <laughs> want to hear that again. You know, it's just theater's not going to die. It survived the plague in Shakespeare. It survived COVID. It's going to go away no matter what we do to yeah. it. Yeah. But it survived the medieval period. <laughs> let's, let's talk about these audiences. Why is theater, at least in my mind, which is a really bad way to phrase this, a different animal for younger audiences? Well, and it's it's so interesting too. One, and I want to clarify. One, we now actually say three to eighteen because one, we were saying okay. to twenty-one, we were also finding because we're set in a university, there was a lot of misperception about that we were looking for plays for college students, and so sure. moving down to eighteen sort of helps with that. And and that's also you know sometimes people are like, how can you have something that appeals to three to eighteen? I'm like, well we're talking like some will be for three to five, some will be from five to eight, you know, there's, yes. it's the range with, within that. Um, and I think, you know, for me, and as a lot of things that have happened in my life, I've sort of stumbled into every career I've had, I've, I've stumbled into accidentally. Um, and, and so I think it's about two things. And I, I say this partly also as one of my previous careers that I stumbled into was a play therapist um, and play as in children's play, not as in theater plays. Mm -hmm. And, and I learned there a lot about how, you know, children learn through metaphor. And so it makes sense that theater is perfect for them because it, it's a way that they are already understanding how the world works is through story. Um, you know, I, and I, I could tell stories from being a play therapist where that was very clear that through that action of playing, they learned things they understood, they processed through their world. Um, and I had to go into that world with them. I had to understand the stories that they were telling in order to hopefully help them learn to tell new stories. And so for me, theater is important for you know, for young folks is important for that reason in that it's an important way to help them learn and develop into the world. And of course, yes, the selfish, if you want to call it that part of me also who loves theater wants to build those theater audiences, get them hooked on theater from a young age so sure, they stay yeah. mm -hmm. with it throughout. But the play therapist part of me also says, yeah, but this is also important because it's important for how they just learn and engage uh, with the world. Um, and in fact, you know, when you look at the really young, I had the pleasure of uh, Tim Webb, who's a co-founder of Oily Cart over in the UK, um, just came out with a, a book called Sensory Theater. And I was fortunate enough to, to be able to read it. And it's a fascinating look of, uh, because Oily Cart started with the really sort of with the three to five-year-olds, um, then went into working with uh, kids with multiple disabilities and profound disabilities, uh, then also went into working with autism and the very young. So they've had that whole spectrum of, of the youth audience. And um, it's really interesting to look at. And as I said, as I was reading it, I thought it was a really important book for just any uh, theater maker to read because you know he talks a lot about how we can get caught up in thinking about just the visual and the audio part of the theater experience, but also recognizing, you know, we learn in a lot of different ways and there's a lot of different um, elements that you can, can bring in, um, you know, a lot of different sensory elements that you can bring into the theater. Yeah. And I think that's something that for the young people, they're more apt to and more willing to dive into that, um, especially the, you know, they're really young that you can have things where they're on the stage and, you know, 
uh, touching things, you know, the tactile piece of it, as yeah. well as yeah. uh, that. And, and I don't know, you know, you know, when we when I think about immersive theater, of course, for adults, you know, there's some of that. Um, we're starting to see little shades of the sensory theater-esque world, if you will, in, in things like immersive theater. But I do think, you know, going back to what you were asking, that I think that for me, that's that two-part piece of it, why theater for a young audience is so is so important because of how youth learns, but also because we want to keep theater alive and engaging with them early is, I think, gonna is certainly a way to to help with that. Sure. You're talking about sensory theater and tactile. And one of the standards, at least in my experience with theater, is there's a fourth wall. Whatever happens on the stage is a different <laughs> world than what than the audience who is sitting there and watching this. And it's two different spaces. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about interactive theater, which is not nearly as popular as, probably as it should be, because I love it. <laughs> I, no, I, I love being involved with the actual production, but having, especially for kids mm-hmm. who have, you know, attention span, that, oof, um, yeah. yeah, getting them involved with it and having them become a part or at least being able to access it yeah. is absolutely critical. I mean, we could do that with adults too, but hey, yeah, yeah. so... Sensory, I mean, hmm, how would you frame something for a sensory theater as opposed to an adult theater? I mean, where well, is, I, is, is there a fourth wall or is, or is there not really? I mean, I think one, it's inter- It's an interesting conversation. I was thinking about this. So I just caught a glimpse of uh, there was a little bit of a controversy with Hades Town on Broadway in that um, a, an audience member who's hard of hearing. I don't know if you caught this. Heard about this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole captioning thing and being called out. And so I feel like there's times because of technology and that where the fourth wall gets broken by the performers themselves. Not not that that happens a ton, but it is an interesting thing that we talk about the fourth wall on the one hand, but on the other hand, I think, you know, it's the whole suspension of disbelief sort of thing. We sort of, we all agree that the fourth wall is there until it's inconvenient and then we forget about it. Um, And I do think technology has a role to play in in that from I'm also thinking of the person oh this has been years ago that and I can't even remember what play it was but saw that there was an outlet so climbed up onto the stage to plug in their phone so I could charge during the show um and so you know. yeah I heard think I heard about that one too oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. so I so I think, so I think, but I think the interesting thing with the sensory theater, and again, I'm still sort of processing through for myself how I'm thinking about this, but <clears throat> excuse me. I think one of the things, like, for example, he mentioned smells was something, you know, and the idea of using essential oils. And I thought, you know, even something as simple as, you know, have you ever thought about a, a scent as audiences are coming in? You know, we oftentimes will have music playing. And again, I know people have allergies and that you got to be right. uh, careful about stuff like that but it was something I hadn't even thought about like I thought I've thought about you know pre-show music before and and how the stage was lit you know if I if we didn't have a curtain but I'd never thought about before you know what I might have as far as smells go or you know that can be dangerous because there are people with multiple chemical sensitivity exactly which is yeah going to anaphylactic shock or something yeah Yeah. which again is not something I'm saying I would necessarily do but again 
it was just interesting to think about it. It hadn't even crossed right. my mind as something to, to consider, you know, or even thinking about, um, you know, touch. I mean, it could be something as simple, silly as, you know, the program. I mean, the program is always the same sort of paper, but what if the program was something different? I mean, again, I'm just sort of spitballing here, but yeah. it just sort of got me thinking about how easy it can be to get stuck. And this is how we've always done it kind of thing. And I do think technology is sort of where a lot of our focus goes these days on what can we do? Oh, I've got a projector in the theater. Look at all the things I can do now with a projector in the theater, all the things that I can create. Um, And so again, it's just, it sort of, it just made me stop for a moment and think about how else could I engage with or think about how I'm engaging with the theater. And again, obviously for young folks, it's a different kind of thing because their expectations are different, but it doesn't mean that there isn't something there that we can't also take for adult theater. Mm. Um, you know, if nothing else, like I said, just sort of, I think it's always good to take stock and reflect every once in a while. What am I doing? How can I be doing it better? And I mean, I know a lot of that yeah. comes from my teaching. I'm doing that all the time in, in uh, teaching. I'm in the middle of doing that right now, doing some, cause I, we're in the middle of the fall semester, but I'm already got plans for how I'm going to do things differently in the spring semester. Cause you know, always reflecting sure. on what's working, nah, what doesn't work. You have to do that, especially yeah, as, as, as a high school teacher. Well, and I teach college. college though, but, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, in some cases it's almost the same thing. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, t- I, I should clarify, I teach at a community college. Community so college. Yes. Yeah. yeah Bronx yes. community college. Yes. Um, Let's talk about the scripts that are developed. New place for young audiences. You develop three new scripts uh, in the historic Provincetown Playhouse, which is beautiful and a lovely place to be. Uh, How do you select the scripts? And what's the process like? I'm a playwright for young audiences, let's say. I mean, what can I look forward to? And what is this process like? So the selection process is one thing. And of course, then the development process is a separate thing with the selection process. And it's, it's the thing I wish I could skip every year. Cause it's so hard. You get so many uh, great scripts I know. Yes. You know, and you're like, Oh, in fact, I, I, I used to, in the early days of producing, I'd spread the, you know, our call for, for our submissions far and wide. And we would get, you know, tons and tons. And then it was like, no, now I have more that I have to yeah. go through, which to be fair, some of it also was that we would get a lot of people who are like, I think kids would like this show. And I'm like, really, it's got 40 years olds in it. What do you think the kids are going to like about this show about middle-aged characters? Um, so we would get a lot of inappropriate, um, uh, scripts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Did you read the submission materials at yes. all? Yes. Which, you know, and it's funny because we've uh, fine tuned the submission guidelines over the years because of those reasons. And I'm also much more careful about making sure I'm very uh, much sending it out to uh, young audience organizations that the call more so than, and then, and then a wide swath like we used to do. And it's we like still you get... never stop teaching because as a teacher, you, <laughs> yeah, high school, college, whatever. You have to make your lesson plan so specific to guide yeah. your students along this yeah. one path so they don't deviate and go yeah. you know, 93 different places. Yeah. And you have to do the same thing with submission opportunities. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, make it all caps, yeah. put it in bold. People still miss it. I'm like, <laughs> what? Which, and then to be fair, sometimes we're like, well, that's easy. They, they, 
didn't understand the whole playwright I had somebody literally once for the playwright just put dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. This is not something we do for the fun of it. Yeah. We know what we can provide for a playwright. And if you say your goal is I can't wait to get this on its feet and choreograph the dances. And we're like, that's not what we do. Right. You know, then we know that's not going to be a good fit. You're not going to be disappointed and we're not going to have disappointed you. Um, so there's that. And we also recently added, cause we had a bit of a kerfuffle with uh with one playwright where there was a misunderstanding about what they had wanted so now we have a big list of the things that that you might want to work with you know do you are you planning on working with puppets are you planning on working with dance all of those things um so that we have a sense of oh okay this and sometimes like one of the plays we scripts we picked last year um she had you know, clicked a lot of those boxes and we were like, Oh, I don't think we can do all of that. But then we just reached out and we're like, and she was like, Oh no, actually, I mean, I'm thinking I'm just going to do this. But again, we were able to have these conversations. And that's one of the biggest pieces in the submission process that we've learned is the more information we have, the better we can make sure that what we're offering is something that's going to be useful for the playwright and that we can, can, you know, do what they need to have done. So when we're selecting, it's always hard because we look at the goals Do you know, sometimes it's great when you read a script and you go, oh, I could see this, this, and this, and you look mm-hmm. at their goals and those are the exact same things yeah. that they mentioned. You're like, okay, good. Yeah. Well, same thing. are not taught about development. They're not taught about what to expect from development of their script. It's, mm. I wrote it. Where's, you know, where's my Tony? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And that's the challenge. thing, and it's why, you know, we have when they come and we used to, well, it's kind of interesting. We always had it before where they picked their director. And at some point, somehow it slipped into we were picking directors. And I don't even remember how that happened. Um, but then we sort of had the aha moment at one point of like, no, it really needs the playwrights really do need to pick their director to make sure that that's somebody who they feel comfortable working with. That's going to work well with them. And and sometimes, you know, we've had one of our scripts last time, they were like, we don't really have anyone in mind. Who do you recommend? And we Mm -hmm. found somebody who worked great with them. And in fact, that play just got published. Um, and then we have, yeah, so there's that piece of it. We always pick the dramaturg because um, that's one that we like to have a little bit more sure. Uh, yeah. Plus, we tend to have a resident dramaturg, so they're the same for all three weeks. Um, that consistency is nice because they also liaison with the graduate class that accompanies the series. They're sort of our voice in right. the classroom. Um, and so that works out well. But they said, so the submission process comes down to a lot of different factors. You know, are the goals something that we could definitely help this playwright with? Um, you know, we're also looking at, you know, we want to make sure that the class has a, a nice spread of, of scripts to look from because the class is learning about play development. You know, I love it when we can have an early develop, you know, early career playwright, a mid-career playwright, and a veteran playwright as our three scripts, because I think that provides a nice spread for um, the class. Again, yeah. and it's usually more, oftentimes it's one of those things where we get to, where we pick this the season, I thought, oh, look at that, we did that. Um, you know, <laughs> you, we, yeah. we want to try to make sure that the voices that we're amplifying in the room are, you know, voices that um, are relevant for the youth Sure. Today, absolutely. you know, so that's one of the big things we're looking at. Who's this, you know, who, what's the story about? Who's the story reaching? You know, diversity is something we're really um, mm-hmm. aware of. In fact, we started a mentoring program um, during 2020, during the pandemic. We had so we had that year was off, which is why technically last year would have been our 25th anniversary. But now 2023 is going to be. Yeah. Um, and 
And so we ended up doing this in 2021. We ended up doing this um, mentoring program for global majority playwrights. And then we decided for the second year, so we sort of piloted it. For the second year, we decided one of the, the draws would be that one of those plays would automatically get picked for one of the three slots in the full series as a way to um, hopefully amplify voices. And it's nice for us too, because during that mentoring process, we get to know the playwrights a little bit better so yeah. that we can come in and say, this play, you know, this playwright is, you know, is really great to work with. This is where this story is really great. Let's slot that one in. And then, so there's a lot of different factors that we're looking, that we're looking at. Um, Everyone, so I remember one year we had a play. It was a fantastic play, but we looked at it. And we're like, it's it's done. It's there was actually nothing. And then we ended up. Yeah. I ended up sending it to folks I know at the Kennedy Center to see if they could help um, get it uh, get it on its feet because it really didn't need us um, in it right. anymore. Would that be for so, New Visions, New Voices? Um, actually, at that point, because um, I knew New Visions, New Voices didn't need it, but I reached out to David Kilpatrick to be like, okay. I've got this script that's come to us. What do you think? You know, is there, I don't know if, you know, with the touring company, um, uh, of course, this is pre-pandemic um, or other main stages just or and I also knew that they um, had contacts as well that they could reach out to. Let's see what we can do. You know, um, one of the great things that. Kim Peter Kovac and Deirdre Lavrakis did was um, create Write Local Play Global along with Tony Mack. And so um, that's a great resource that um, that I've used and that, you know, is another way we can help get um, plays. So that's one of the things for the series that I think Nancy and Lowell did really did really well, especially Lowell Swartzel, because he was a playwright himself and they were both big names in the TYA field. Um, and so they were really able to connect um, playwrights um, to theaters and that to yeah. really help. Um, and, and publishing was a little bit more robust back then too. I mean, I remember, and, and this was before I was producer, I think it was the year I was, um, an actor in the series. So this would have been 2008, you know, there was a publisher from, oh, I can't remember now the name of the, the publishing company, but she, you know, she came to see the shows. Um, you know, that was sort of, that was standard. They had yeah. those relationships and that's something we still, I feel like somehow over the, uh, last several years um, has been harder to uh, to get the plays to that next step. The it's past several years have been very hard to get anybody to go in. Yeah, yeah, it's been yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Teresa, this is this has been great. I mean, time has absolutely flown here, and <laughs> this is. I wish, really wish we could go on for another couple of hours because I could talk about this stuff all day, and it's really, <laughs> really interesting. You do so much good work. Thank you. We try. Yeah. Well, you know, theater's <laughs> fun. It's wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for being here. And uh, I look forward to hearing more about what's going on with new plays and younger audiences and much better post-show discussions, please. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank Fingers you so crossed. much. Thank you.
Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes and Spotify. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or know of someone in the theater who'd make some seriously good chat, by all means, send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again for listening. And please, stay safe, be careful, not only for yourself, but for those with whom we all share this rock. And as always, happy theatering to all of you. <laughs>